0: You can open up to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at the last uh, several verses of that chapter. Matthew 12, we'll start at verse 46 uh, here in just a moment. Um, But this is around back to school time for most people. I know there's some, uh, I think, homeschool families that are about to start up, but most public private schools have already started back to school season. And our youngest kid uh, started preschool this week, so it's kind of a big deal for our family. And we went to this back to school night, the night before the first day the head of the school, uh, he mentioned how it's very normal for uh, especially preschool kids on that first day of school to cry even, or parents to cry uh, as they uh, let go of that child to to go into the preschool. And as he was saying that, and then as this week has progressed, I was remembering a back to school moment that involved crying for myself. And I was realizing it's about 20 years almost to the day, 20 years ago, uh, where I... Most of you know, or some of you know, I have an identical twin. Uh, His name is Mike. He lives out in California. Uh, So if you see me around town, it is me. Uh, But 20 years ago, we were about to start college, and literally from the first second of my existence as a human being, I had always had him right there with me. Right? Literally, like in the womb, we were together, we would do everything together. We were in the same classes, same teams, same church, same everything uh, for the first 18 years of our life. And then we decided to go to different colleges. And I remember my brother went to Purdue and we drove to West Lafayette. That day his school started before mine and we dropped him off at school. And I am a crying type of person, uh, but when we stopped at this gas station just a few minutes down the road after we dropped him off, I absolutely lost it, like more th- almost more than any other moment I can remember in my life, because uh, what had been true of me, the entirety of my existence was now fundamentally changing, and I, I just broke down crying in the, the gas station outside West Lafayette, and the reason that has come back to me this week is because we're going to be talking about family and God's people as family, and it was that story, that experience more than any other in my life, shows me just the deep bondedness that there is, or at least can be, between siblings between people who are part of the same family, that there was a reason I cried. And it wasn't just because I'm an emotional guy or because it was a sentimental moment. It's because there's a bondedness that can be and even should be true of siblings, right? There's something unique about family that we don't really experience in any other domain. But I think that we can and should experience in the church, Uh, this brotherhood and sisterhood that we have together in the family of God. And we're gonna look at a text this morning that gets at this point of the family, the familiarity family nature of the church and of God's people. Uh, We've been going through the last three weeks, and this is the fourth week, a short series we're calling Values. We normally go through books of the Bible. We're going to start Deuteronomy in a few weeks, and we're going to take a long time to go through it. That's normally how we preach, but we're taking seven weeks to talk about what are values we want to mark the life of our church for years and decades to come if Jesus stays in heaven. What are seven values amongst thousand probably other ones we could pick what are seven values we want to mark every dimension of the life of our church so thus far we've talked about grace We've talked about truth. We've talked about love. Today, we're talking about family. And so I want to come to this text, Matthew 12, verse 46 through 50. I'm going to read it, and then we'll walk back through it. I'm going to try to preach a bit shorter than normal, since we have some little kids in here with us uh, who are not normally. But I want to do justice to this text and the application that it can have to our life as a church family uh, as long as Jesus stays in heaven. So if you found that, I want to read that for us, Matthew 12, 46 through the end of the chapter. The he here is going to be Jesus. Okay, it says, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of
1: God. I want
0: to set the scene here of what takes place, what Matthew records for us, what happened, what Jesus says, why he says it, and then we'll think of its relevance to us as a church family. So if I was going to set the scene here, if we're trying to be a fly on the wall of what actually took place, Jesus is teaching, right? He's a full-grown adult by this point in time. And we don't really have a lot of records of how Jesus interacted with his earthly family, if we want to talk about him that way, with Joseph and Mary and his siblings. This is one of the very few that we have, right? Uh, Within the text of Scripture, one of the few records we have. Because he's teaching in this house, uh, and there seems to be this crowd inside of the house, and then his mother and brothers come to this house, right? And it says that they are standing outside. That's what verse 46 says. Uh, So they're standing outside of the house. So presumably it's a full house. People are listening to Jesus teach. And we don't know exactly why his mom, why his brothers came to visit. If you look at some of the other gospel records, it seems like maybe they're even concerned for Jesus. Uh, Maybe they are worried about him possibly they maybe are worried about his mental state or maybe they're starting, as opposition is starting to rise against him. They're concerned and want him to scale back. We don't know exactly. But they pay him a visit at this house while he's sitting teaching all these people who are no doubt sitting on pins and needles listening to the Lord teach. Side note, did you know Jesus had siblings? That's an interesting thing to know that sometimes we don't realize. If you even look at the next chapter, the end of Matthew 13, some of them are named. They actually, their names are like James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and he had sisters. He had a, a mother, maybe Joseph, his father, had passed away. We don't know. But uh, they come to this house, at least his mother and brothers. They stand outside, and I would note for you in verse 46 they're wanting to speak to Jesus. Everybody else has come to listen to Jesus, right? They're sitting there being taught by Jesus. His family, for whatever reason, feels like they have the right and the ability to come and speak to him rather than listen to him. Uh, and so they, it seems like they're not even willing to wait till he's done teaching. They are telling maybe whoever this person is that was at the door, hey, we really need to talk to him now. And enough, they were, it seems like probably so at least adamant about it that this man, verse 48, comes and tells Jesus, hey, your mom, and your brothers, they're here, they want to talk to you. And I appreciate what Jesus does here. Rather than Jesus just pausing everything he was doing and going to the door to talk to them, he, he doesn't do that. He capitalizes on this moment uh, and he uses a real life moment to teach something to the people that were listening. And now it's recorded for us. And so we get to learn from what Jesus did in this moment as well. He, he didn't just always have pre-planned talks and sermons. Like he used the things that would happen in real life. And so he asks this guy in front of everybody who's come and told him, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. Jesus asked him a question, right? Verse 48. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, at the risk of stating the obvious, I don't think Jesus was forgetting, right? Uh, It's not like, oh, who is that? Like, I mean, he is brilliant. He is God. He he knows who his mother and his brothers are. But he's trying to make a point to the people that would listen, to the guy who came to give him the message and then to the people that were listening. Uh, He's trying to make a point to them that there is something more. There's another kind of family beyond just our earthly families. Right, That's at minimum what he's saying because his answer is he, he says, who's my mother, who are my brothers, and then he stretches out. I can picture Jesus kind of doing one of these, like where he's pointing to his disciples. He says he stretches out his hand toward his disciples and says, here are my mother and my brothers. Uh, and he says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister And mother. And so Jesus is making a point to them, and we would be wise to hear it also, that there is another kind of family beyond just our earthly family, beyond just our biological or even our adopted or foster families. There's a family that is invisible, there's a spiritual family that is no less true, maybe even more true, more real in some ways than our earthly families. And Jesus is making this point. Like, you think that lady at the door, you think those guys at the door are my true family. And I don't think he's trying to slight them. He loved them. Like, you see that in all sorts of different stories throughout Jesus' life, even at the cross itself. You see that he loved them, loved them, loved them. He's not trying to diminish them, but he's trying to say, there's this other family that I have that even these people right here are part of, the people who do the will of my heavenly Father. And he's saying that that family is larger. That family is more enduring. That, that family is supernatural even. If my earthly family is natural, this family is supernatural. I was, I was thinking of, of kind of like our earthly families are the shadow and our spiritual family is the real thing. Or if there's little kids in the room, I was trying to think of an analogy. Maybe like when you know there's a Lego set that's just like a model of the real thing. It's smaller and it kind of looks like the thing, but it's trying to remind you of the actual real thing. Our physical families, our earthly families, are kind of like that little Lego set. Like, it, it's, you know what it's about. You can get the essence of it. But our spiritual family is what that is supposed to point us to. Like, as we have brothers and sisters and moms and dads in this life, it's supposed to show us and remind us that there's a spiritual family that we can be part of. And uh, that is what Jesus is trying to get at here, that there's a common bond we can have with a heavenly father. Not just an earthly father, an earthly mother, not just a house that we live in, but there's a common bond we have when we have God the Father as our spiritual father. And it's a glorious thing that Jesus, he had God as the heavenly father, right? But he says in verse 50 that other people can have God as their heavenly father. That we can be entered into the family that he was already part of, that we can be joined in. And so I want to think of the relevance of this text in a few different ways for us as individuals and as a church family as we think about wanting to be marked as a actual spiritual family together uh, as a church. And so the first thing I want to talk about, this will be a little more brief, but is how do you enter that spiritual family? Like how does one actually come into this family and become part of this spiritual family that Jesus is talking about? And it's been stated a few different times already earlier in the service, but I want to make the point as we think of how do we become part of it? Like how do we get into this family? Is that you have to be adopted into this family, right? Every single person in this room, every person who ever exists in past, present, or future, if you're going to be in the spiritual family of God, you have to be adopted into that family. Nobody is born into the family of God. No. like Your parents could be the most godly Christians, missionaries. You're their son or daughter. That does not make you a Christian. That does not make you a son or a daughter of God. It makes you a son and daughter of a son or daughter of God. God doesn't have grandchildren, right? He has children, I've heard people say. And we have to be adopted into the family. And we don't, I don't, I want to make sure we hear too. When Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother, Uh, like that's who my family is, the people who do the will of my Father. I do not want us to hear and think that Jesus is saying, to get into this family, you do the will of my Father. Like, once you do that, like, you obey him enough, you do the right things, then you can become part of my family. That is clearly not what Jesus is saying. He is saying that the people who have been adopted into my family obey my father, right? We, we, it's not like we have to pass a test to get into the family of God, an obedience test. That is not what he is saying. We have to be adopted, and, and praise God, we can be. And it's not because of anything we do or can do. It's because of something that Jesus has done for us. That one true son of God. He came to this earth. And on behalf of all of the people like us, me included, who were rebels against the Heavenly Father, who defied him, who disobeyed him, who could not even enter into the family of God even if we wanted to because our offense is so great. Jesus Christ came into our world. And even though he had obeyed perfectly... He took the sins of rebels, the sins of people who were outside the family of God, upon himself at the cross. He bore those himself and he was punished by God the Father on our behalf so that our sin might be removed, that our sin might be forgiven, that it could be cleaned off of our record, paid for fully, the judgment of God. He did that for us who are outside of the family so that we could be adopted into the family. So that we could rightfully, justly, fairly be received into God the Father's family. And that is gloriously good news to us. That Jesus was crucified for us. And he was raised for us. And that we can become part of this family. And all God calls. and I don't even want to say all. But what God calls for is from us as a response to hearing that. That Christ died for us. And has gained us the ability to be received by God the Father. What he calls for us is turning from our sin and trusting in Christ. giving up our sin, repenting of it, turning away from that sin that that we have committed against our Heavenly Father and placing our trust that Jesus can gain me sonhood, daughterhood, uh, that Jesus, what he did on the cross, can gain me access into God the Father's family and resting your soul upon him, trusting that what he's done is enough. That is what we are called to as a response. And I want to note that not every human being is a child of God. We say that all the time. I don't even think we know what we're saying. It becomes so say, Oh, we're all children of God, just talking about human beings. We are not. Like, the, the family of God, the spiritual family of God, if you draw a circle around it, it doesn't include every human being. It includes the people who are born again, the people who are trusting in Christ. That is who is the family of God. I would note in this text there are the disciples, and then there is the people, right? When Jesus did this thing where he said, here are my brothers and sisters, it says he pointed to his disciples, right? There was other people in that room listening to him who presumably weren't part of the family of God yet. There was his brothers outside the door who presumably weren't part of the family of God yet. We are not just part of the family of God by being a human, by being born. Like, we become part of the family of God by being born again, it's so important for us to know we're not part of the family of god just by being around jesus right Those siblings of Jesus uh, that I just named a little bit ago, they grew up in the same house as Jesus, right? They were taught the same stuff. I'm assuming they went to the synagogue together. They were taught by Joseph together. They were taught by Mary together. They were around, literally around Jesus all the time, eating with him, talking with him, joking with him. I don't know what all the fun things they would have done together. They were around Jesus their entire life, and Jesus is still saying, they're not my brothers and sisters yet. And just growing up in the church, around the church, does not make anyone a believer. It doesn't make us part of the family of God. We need to be born again. We need to be adopted into that family. So that's how we enter it. But then living in the spiritual family of God. This is the main thing I want to talk about. Living in the family of God. If we are part of the family of God, how do we live in it? I think it is so vital for us in light of this text and so many others that that unfold in the New Testament to remember that if we have God as our father, if you have God as your heavenly father, guess what that means? You're not an only child, right? That means if I have him as my heavenly father and you have him as your heavenly father and you and you and you, that means we have siblings, right? Right? That there is no only child in God's family. If we have God as our father, that means we have become part of a family with siblings. There's a reason that the New Testament uses this language all the time of brothers right? And even sisters and the household of God and these images that talk about the church as family. That it's not just that we're saved as individuals to become a child of God but we're saved together to be children of God. That we're we're to function as siblings together. I love the church I grew up in and I love if our church grows in this. This is not a law. This is not a rule but we would call, often they would call this guy brother so and so and this lady sister so and so and I used to kind of think that was weird. The older I get, the more I do that very thing uh, because I appreciate this more and more that if you're a child of God that means you're my brother or that I'm your brother that you're my sister that I'm your brother that we have a sibling relationship and the way we experience that the most is in a church this family of God, this siblinghood of Christians is in an actual church, right? There's a difference between going to a family reunion where you are family, but you don't really know each other and then coming back to your house where you actually live. Uh, the way you experience family is actually, in, spiritual family is in the context of a church, not just total universal Christians, but we experience it most fully in a church. And I want to share a few uh, ways that we can live out life together as a spiritual family as a church some of you go in houses and maybe some of you have these in your house you have these little like household rules or signs like hey in this house we do such and such and maybe something trivial like we take off our shoes or it may be some joke thing about how you lift the toilet seat or whatever but there may be more serious things about how we love each other we're forgiving those types of things you know what I'm talking about these household rules I want to share a few brief household uh, not rules but things that should be true of us as a spiritual family based on other texts in the new testament uh, that if we had more time i would elaborate on but a few household family oriented things that should mark us as a church family one should be that we appreciate each other as siblings that we should appreciate each other we should not be as christians embarrassed of each other we are way too quick to be embarrassed or ashamed of fellow Christians in today's world, I would say. Where, where we would say, yeah, I'm bonded in Jesus, but what a joke of a person. Like, I can't even stand to be around this person. Like, can you believe so-and-so? We are way too quick to be embarrassed of each other. And that's not to say that we need to affirm everything that everybody else affirms. But Hebrews 2.11 says that Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. And if Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, we ought to not be ashamed to call each other brother and sister. My family growing up, we had a relative named John who was homeless and uh, he lived around where we would. He would go to different places and stay different places. And to my shame, I remember, and I was talking to my family about this a couple days ago, I remember this moment very vividly where my mom, who had compassion upon him, wanted to go to this mall uh, where he had supposedly been living and where he had been staying in these bushes of all places and uh, that she thought that maybe he had left some things there and wanted to go and see if he was there, if his possessions were there. And I remember being so embarrassed Like and even like making fun of this guy who was part of our family and so ashamed of him and I was forgetting and this is a guy who is part of our family. And I I was more worried about my own appearance or who would see my mom looking in bushes of a mall when she was doing it out of love. And we need to be much slower to be embarrassed or ashamed of our brothers and sisters in Christ in our church. We need, even when they have flaws, even when they have shortcomings, even when they have weaknesses, we need to be embracing, appreciating of each other, not keeping each other at arm's length. We need to appreciate people who are different than us people who are the opposite gender of us, we need to learn to appreciate them within the family of God and the gift that they are to us. We need to appreciate people who are of different generations than us, right? People who are older than us, people who are younger than us, college students. I would tell you, you need more than just your peers, in this stage of life, like you need more than just roommates and fellow college students, you need people who are older than you, you need people who are younger than you. Uh, That is how a family works, right? We learn from grandma and we help our little cousin. Like we, we have different generational things that we learn together. We should appreciate people of different social statuses, economic statuses, people of different ethnicities, people with different giftings and backgrounds. We need to learn to appreciate each other within the family of God so we should appreciate each other we should serve each other within the family of God that's something that should mark us as a church family as a service of each other That we use the gifts that god has given to us as a son or daughter to benefit the other sons or daughters in our family right we don't just use them even just to benefit the world at large in my workplace or in the community but we should use those gifts first and foremost with the people of god not to the neglect of others but we should use those gifts to benefit each other right we should serve each other in a family in a lot of families, you have chore charts, things like that, right? We, we have assignments of things that we do so it doesn't all fall on mom or all fall on dad. We each try to play our part and do our functioning within the household that we live in, right? Uh, and the same should be true within a household of the church, that we use our gifts to serve each other. It should not all fall upon pastors or leaders or certain members of the congregation. It should be a service that we all do together as a family within the family of God we should comfort and encourage each other that's what families do right that's what spiritual families should do is that we comfort and encourage each other we bear each other's burdens rather than just keeping people at arm's length or ignoring them or hoping somebody else can deal with them we grieve with each other right even in our earthly families we do that right Our family is going to have a funeral that we go to this week, and it's going to be mostly family that comes together, right, to console and to comfort and encourage each other. That's what families do. And when we as a church have people who are hurting, who are grieving, we should come together around them to encourage and to comfort them. That's what families do. We have a unique opportunity in families to build each other up and to infuse hope in each other in ways that other people outside of our family cannot. In our spiritual family, we should not just comfort and encourage each other, but also sharpen and challenge each other right? That's something that brothers and sisters do. We we sharpen and challenge each other. In our families, I don't know what your family is like, but in every family I know of, it becomes painfully clear that we cannot hide our flaws. We cannot hide our shortcomings when you live together, when you're around each other. You do sin against each other. That is inevitable. Uh, it's uh, However many people are living in your apartment or your dorm room or your house, there's that many sinners involved. Like We, we can't hide uh, from each other, and so we need We need each other as a family to sharpen each other, to challenge each other, to confront each other at times when we see sin in each other's life. There is ways that we can speak, even in our earthly families, think about this. There's ways we can speak to our brothers and sisters that we cannot speak to other people right? There's a built-in credibility and bondedness that gives us a platform to talk to each other because we know we're not going anywhere. And we have even a responsibility. We We are each other's, we are brother's keeper, right? That we have a responsibility for each other to sharpen and challenge each other within the family. And we should never, as a family, just let people drift towards sin, drift into losing their faith, drift into disobedience. We must challenge each other and help each other. That's what families do. That's what spiritual families do. And the last thing, practically speaking, I'm to say is that we persevere. We should persevere with each other as a spiritual family. That's one of the glorious things about human families, is that they're the lifelong relationships that you have. Uh, that for most situations, if you enter into the world with siblings, they're going to be around the rest of your life, right? Uh, that they are, They're just embedded, they're baked into your life. You don't even consider stopping being their brother. Like there may be rifts sometimes, but you never stop being their brother. You never stop being their sister and there should be a perseverance that happens within a household within a household even of faith there, there's a beauty even in our earthly families of consistency over years consistency over decades that every thanksgiving maybe not last year every thanksgiving you go and you eat with the same people right? Every Christmas you go and you sit around the same table with the same people. Uh, Every birthday you celebrate with the same people. There is a continuity of family that is a beautiful thing. That's a powerful thing. But sometimes when it comes to spiritual family, we are very quick to bail, we are very quick to say, oh, man, like that really frustrates me. What that person did, I'm just going to go find a new set of brothers and sisters. I'm just going to go find a new church family down the road. I'm just going to go to this other place where I don't have all that baggage. We don't do that with our earthly families, right? We don't just say, oh, I'm just going to go find a new family to spend time with, right? Like, may we be so slow to do that with our spiritual families. Not that there is never a reason, but may we be slow to do that and maybe quick to persevere with each other and bear with each other and and learn from each other and and endure difficulty with each other we should not just bail on our spiritual family when conflict arises so that's how we live in the household of god the last thing i want to mention is just this will be very brief is i think as we think about our spiritual family and we think about our earthly family one thing I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to speak toward this morning is the need to keep our earthly family in proper perspective uh, I, our church I love this of our church I'm trying to be an encouragement of this myself we really want to see a value of earthly families that as God grants them to us that we we live intentionally and purposefully in them and try to grow a new generation of people coming behind us but there is a risk that churches like ours so to speak can run of where we can start to idolize the earthly family or we can start to make it a functional god where we can start to act like man this is like the most supreme thing in my life is family time or my kids are the most important thing in all of my life, my kids or my spouse or whoever, they are the most important thing to me. And I just want to challenge us as a church family to remember to keep our earthly families in proper perspective. I'm not trying to call you to love them less, What I'm trying to call you to do is, and call us to do, is to love the church more, like to increase our love for the church, to not just run every decision we make about how to spend our time or how to orient our life first through the grid of earthly family, and then the the spiritual family comes behind that. And if we have time or if we have ability, then, oh yeah, we'll do that. But learn to, to factor both of those equally to say, this is important for how we operate as a family, but our spiritual family is important as well, and we want to prioritize that more value the spiritual family that God has made us part of I love this. I listen to a podcast uh, called The Happy Rant. If you like lighthearted podcasts, Uh, it's a funny one I'd recommend. One of the guys that's the host of it, his name is Ted Kluck, which is a great name. Uh, But uh, he wrote a book years ago, and it it was about this very thing, how we can sometimes idolize family, like our earthly family. And I love this, that he pitched this title to the publisher, but they didn't go for it. Uh, But I wish they would have, and he wishes they would have. In light of the ministry, which I'm not bashing them, but of focus on the family. What he had suggested as a title was focus off the family. Uh, And they didn't go for that. I think they thought that would cut a lot of sales. Uh, But I think in a cheeky way got at the point of, hey, sometimes we put way too much of a spotlight on the traditional nuclear uh, family of husband and wife and kids and orienting your life around the earthly family. He really wanted people to say, man, I value spiritual family as much or maybe even more than I value my earthly family and we need to get focus off of our family sometimes and not idolize it. And so I I don't want us to think of our earthly families less, love them less. I want us to love our spiritual family more, to value our spiritual family more. And as an aside too, I also want us as a church to not collectively idolize the nuclear family as if that is the only way to express Christian reality and living. We as a church family, one of the beauties of being a church family is that we can provide relationships that God uh, can grow us through, like of friends and a brother and a sister and grandma and grandpa and grandchild and grandson. We can provide those things relationally to each other that we may not have in a nuclear family. So when we are single, we can still, we should still, not can we should still be friends and brothers and sisters. We should have uh, those who have a spouse, who have children. We should be looking out and caring for as friends, as brothers and sisters, those who don't have an immediate nuclear family in their household. We, we should never uh, raise the nuclear family as if it's the only means by which to express Christian reality, Christian maturity. We are to function together as a spiritual family to, to supplement and care for each other collectively uh, as God gives us opportunity. We want us to be a church family. Our pastors want us to be a church family. Family. We want to be a welcoming family, not a, a unwelcoming one that kind of circles the wagons and lets nobody else in. May we be a, a church family that receives new people in, that, that welcomes new people into our family. But we are a family, and we should live like it. Would say we are a spiritual family as a church and we should live like it growing up I would uh, sing hymns with my church and I'm not going to sing this for you but it's just coming back to my mind this week we would sing a song I don't even think this was the title but it's the hook that I remember where we would sing I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God do any of you know this song or am I okay I see a few hands all right yes uh I has lodged in my head uh that I, I would sing and sing and sing when I was a kid And it's becoming more and more true in my life as I get older, as a Christian, as a pastor, that those aren't just words I sing or think of just out of routine, but I truly am glad that I'm a part of the family of God. And if you are, I hope that you grow in your gladness this morning, that you're part of God's family and you grow in your bondedness with us as brothers and sisters. I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna sing one more song so the worship team can go ahead, come up, but let me pray for us and we will sing. Father in heaven, we... Uh, are grateful for this word from your son Jesus that there is a spiritual family that we all are part of a spiritual family with either you as our father or as John says with Satan as our father we are part of one or the other God I, I pray if we are part of your family if you have saved us and adopted us into it I pray that we would live like it I pray that we would live as brothers and sisters within your household that we would care for each other, that we would serve each other, that we would encourage each other, that we would challenge each other, that we would persevere with each other. Not just because we are wonderful and we get warm fuzzies, but because we are each respectively sons and daughters of you. And we have bonds that will last for all eternity. God, may even as we sing to you now, may you remind us of how undeserved our status is as your children how undeserved our opportunity and responsibility is to go and tell others of your son and to welcome them as well. So may you work even as we sing again now. We pray this in the name of Christ.